On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to this episode of the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. In today's episode, The Role of Affirmation and Vulnerability in Caregiving, Trent Cockrum, CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, is joined by Caroline Oxford, medical social worker at Hospice of the Piedmont. Caroline brings with her a wealth of knowledge related to helping communities better understand and engage with those facing serious illness. You can learn more about her in the show notes for this episode. Together, Trent and Caroline will discuss universal challenges that caregivers face and how those in the caregiving role can be affirmed and benefit from intentional transparency with others. Let's listen in. Caroline, it's so great for you to be here with me today. I appreciate your uh, willingness to join me in this important conversation. We know, for example, that there are well over 50 million unpaid caregivers uh, in the country, which is just a staggering number. Um, We can all understand, based on the conversations that we've had up to this point and will continue to have uh, throughout the remainder of 2022, that caregiving is a difficult um, task. Um, It comes with its own set of um, difficulties, but its own set of rewards. And um, as we just explored uh, most recently in a really interesting conversation that I had with Dr. Lee Seifert from uh, University of North Carolina at Greensboro. But I'm just, you know, I want to jump into this discussion about caregiving being difficult. And, you know, I think we can all agree, though, that whenever we're faced with something that is particularly difficult, we oftentimes also seek an an equal amount or in some measured fashion, affirmation, you know, a recognition that we're actually doing the best that we can. Um, How does that sentiment relate to being a caregiver? Yeah, Trent. So I think for a lot of people, first of all, becoming a caregiver, starting to have that as one of your roles, um, that's something that people are just kind of jumping into. It's, you know, a, a new role for them. It's maybe unexpected, maybe not necessarily something they would have chosen. Um, And so just like any other place or role that we find ourselves in that's new, it's going to come with a lot of uncertainty and possibly fear and anxiety about how well we're going to perform in that role. And so um, I think just like with any other new situation or challenging situation, certainly caregivers, um, benefit from having someone there to just sort of affirm, yes, you're, you're doing all the right things. You're doing a great job. You're doing the best you can in this difficult place. Um, and I think a lot of times just those few words of encouragement, uh, can really go a long way for folks. Yeah. I think we all seek validation in in difficult times, right. And knowing, as you said, whether or not we're making the right decisions, whether or not we're making decisions that are in the best interest of someone for whom we're, we have a responsibility to make decisions for, which is, you know, a whole different level of complexity. And so yes. hearing that uh, affirming words from someone we trust or someone we know, I think is, is really, um, as you say, goes a very long way. Um, 
You know, but but it's important, I think, you know, those of us who are professional caregivers, um, which spans the spectrum, there's social workers and nurses and physicians and people who work in healthcare in general who, you know, regard themselves as, as being in a caregiving um, profession. You know, we are we are nonetheless human. And so when we, you know, when someone first says to us, um, I think about my own experience, and when someone first says to us that, you know, I've, I've, that they've taken on a caregiving role or that perhaps their caregiving role is evolving, because we know that it does evolve oftentimes over uh, many, many months, sometimes years. Um, and, and, you know, but our, our typical response is, wow, you know, that's really hard. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. But, but I'm so interested to know you are a social worker and a licensed clinical social worker. And I'm so interested to know your experience um, in, when you begin to change the narrative and begin offering that affirmation that we just talked about to people who are actively engaged in caregiving. Yeah, so I, of course, always do um, want to acknowledge just the reality that it is not easy and um, uh, for most people, it is a challenge, but also try to really point out any kind of moments of meaning within that challenge or moments of appreciation or affirmation. Um, so when I'm in the home with a caregiver, I try to always um, just say out loud that they are, you know, really doing something that is important and doing something that's challenging, that they're doing a good job and that this person is lucky to have um, them as a caregiver here in the home with them. And so oftentimes people sort of demure at that or kind of, you know, play it down and say, oh, well, you know, I do the best I can or, you know, try to kind of change the subject off of themselves. Um, so for those folks, I just kind of hope that even if they um, act like it's not a big deal in the moment, that they kind of take those words with them and take it to heart. Um, and then sometimes for other people, even just kind of that one moment of appreciation or affirmation, telling someone they're doing a good job, you can just kind of see on their face that it really does hit them, that they really needed to, to hear those words. Um, to maybe just help them get through the rest of that day. Um, and they're really appreciative of that. Sure. Cause you know, it, it's not in most pe people's nature to sort of seek out affirming, you know, statements um, from, from folks, you know, probably I would suspect, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this um, because many caregivers are doing what they are doing and being actively engaged in caregiving uh, out of a sense of or feeling of responsibility or obligation. And so seeking some sort of affirmation feels wrong in some way because it, you know, you're just doing what is one, one either expected or two, um, what, what your responsibilities actually would be. I mean, is that fair? I mean, can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, I do think that's true for some people that maybe they, um, always knew or expected they would be in this role. And they've always kind of known that it's a, a role or a duty that they would fulfill. Um, and so they don't necessarily need that external validation as much. Um, but then there's other people who come into it, as I mentioned, maybe 
just sort of thrown into it brand new, or maybe, um, you know, it wouldn't be their first choice of, of where to be um, in this moment. And so, um, you know, sometimes those people are a little more open and just saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't actually know if I can do this. Um, and so, um, you know, certainly it's a spectrum as is everything in our work. People are coming from all different backgrounds and experiences. Um, but I think, you know, regardless, there is going to be value in just um, pointing out to people, making sure they know that they are uh, seen and heard and appreciated, um, you know, whether or not they, um, wherever they are coming from into this role. Sure. So a super challenge question for you. Um, and I realize I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot, but do you have a case in mind? You, you've been doing, uh, you've been a social worker for a number of years. You've been working quite successfully in our organization for a number of years also. And do you have, um, do you have a, a case that really sort of comes immediately to mind where the caregiver was struggling with some, something challenging um, and, and you saw it sort of turn around um, for them. Um, and what was the catalyst for that? And what did that look like? Yeah, so there's a lot of situations that come to mind. And I think sort of the common theme in all of them where there, if there was a point where it kind of turned around and the person became more confident or more assured, um, really kind of turns on this moment of, um, deciding or being willing to receive help or support, um, whether that support is coming with real, you know, hands-on assistance from the hospice team or for hired help in the home, or if it's just more emotional support from someone reaching out um, saying, you know, hey, we see this is a really hard thing and we just want you to know that we um we see that and we see you going through this and we want to be supportive however we can. Um, so I think that is kind of the key. Um, just, you know, one example um, would be, I have a patient now who it's the patient and his wife who are in the home. They um, don't have a whole lot of local support system and they've always just kind of handled things just the two of them that's been their their pattern over their many years together and so it it took um the wife who was the caregiver a long time to really kind of let her guard down and even let us as the hospice team in to kind of um gain our trust and help us um allow us to help kind of guide her through um some of those just day-to-day challenging um, challenges with the patient and also just kind of the um, emotions that people go through um, as they're caring for someone, a loved one who is sick. And so, um, you know, in her case, I, I've been really um, grateful that she has kind of trusted us enough, enough to allow us in um, to provide that support to her. And so you've seen sort of her response to that really sort of change over that span of time, I suspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wonder, you know, we've skirted around some of this as I think back to one of your earlier um, comments, it, it, it made, it sparked a thought in my mind and it just came back to me um, when you were talking about, you know, 
this common theme um, related to, you know, needing confidence, um, which, you know, makes me wonder whether or not, and we haven't discussed this word. I think this is an important word for us to talk about a little bit today. This word of vulnerability, which is something we talk about a lot. Um, and we hear about a lot, oftentimes in the in the emotional context, because I think it is an emotional consideration. But but how what it, what is vulnerability, and how does that play into you know an, a caregiver's experience? And um, and is it beneficial? And how is it helpful? I mean, there's a whole lot of things wrapped up in that, I imagine. So let's just talk about that a bit. Yeah, so it, it really goes back to kind of what I was just saying about everything sort of turning at this moment where a person is willing to open themselves up and kind of, you know, be a little bit exposed um, in their, um, you know, within this challenging situation, um, whether that's, you know, even just acknowledging kind of to themselves to begin with that, hey, you know, maybe this situation is a little bigger than what I can handle alone. Um, and what I often tell people, everyone, it's too big of a job for one person. It doesn't matter who you are or how much experience you have. Um, it's really just too much for one person to kind of bear up all of those things alone. Um, and so I think, you know, first for people to um, even just acknowledge that to themselves and then be willing to kind of expose themselves or open them up open themselves up um, to others who are maybe willing to provide some help and support to them. Um, and so I think that, you know, so much of this is, is applicable to so many other situations than just being a caregiver, but um, certainly is true for most of the folks that I work with um, as caregivers. And I don't, no, um, you, you may have heard of Brene Brown or some of the folks listening maybe know <laughs> Brene Brown, famous social worker um, who's written a lot about vulnerability. And she really focuses on um, saying to people that, uh, and this is evidence based from her research, that vulnerability actually doesn't reflect weakness, but is actually a measure of courage. So kind of being um, courageous or willing enough to say yeah, you know what I do, I can't, um, I can't do this on my own, or I'm not, I'm not the perfect, um, you know, picture that I'm trying to present to everyone um, on the outside, um, and kind of just that courage to, um, to open themselves up to let someone else in, whether that's just in emotionally or literally into their homes like we do as the hospice team. Yeah, sure. You know, a couple things just struck me as you were talking, because um, it really sounds like what you're saying is for, for to encourage folks uh, to really identify their support resources, um, emotional resources, physical resources, whatever those are. Um, to trust those resources, more importantly. Um, so as, as, as folks are offering their support or offering the resources that, that they have available to trust that, that, that they are, um, you know, beneficial to, to the person who is receiving them. And that's a huge part of vulnerability, right? I imagine that trust and vulnerability sort of work in tandem with one yes. another. And then, and then, 
And then with from those two things, then find the affirmation and the confidence that you need to know and understand that you're doing a great job. And, that, and that, those are some of the things that just resonated with me as you were talking. Yes. And I do a lot of encouraging caregivers to um, either reach out for assistance or just to receive the help and assistance that has been offered. So many times people say, yeah, you know, all the people at the church have offered to help and I just don't want to bother them or those kinds of things. And so I really have to make a point of saying, if someone is offering to help you, that means they really want to. And this is a situation where you really do need the help. So you kind of have to, um, part of that vulnerability is just, you know, saying I'm, I'm not hundred percent in control. I cannot manage all of this by myself. And so, um, yes, you have offered, please, um, I will allow you to help me. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to, you know, identify those resources, trust in that case, it is trusting those resources that, you know, the people at the church who've offered trust them that their willingness is, is genuine, um, that, that their thoughts are genuine. And then, and then in that find the courage, the confidence and the affirmation that you, that, that you deserve in knowing that you are doing something that is terribly challenging. I mean, I I think those are sort of my takeaways from that. Hi friends, it's your host, Ryan Biagini. Join us for future episodes to learn more about the innovative work our organization is doing specific to understanding and supporting caregivers and how you can engage with us to be a part of this exciting community change. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to be sure not to miss an episode. And now let's get back to the conversation. As a hospice social worker, um, you work with many different families and caregivers daily and have for the years that you've been with our organization. But I suspect for as different as each family is from one another, I suspect there are some universal challenges that caregivers face. Might you share some of those? Yeah, so I think um, specifically in working with hospice patients and their families, a few things kind of stand out as being really common. The first is just the physical kind of tangible day-to-day demands of caring for someone at the end of life. Um, someone who maybe can't get out of the bed anymore or and who needs their medications, you know, administered to them in a very specific way. Um, you know, they're having maybe different symptoms that you're having to look out for. Um, those are things that people often, um, you know, maybe at the beginning of our time together, they think, oh, I'll never be able to do that. But then with some education and um, assistance and practice, they, they learn that they actually can. Um, And then I think, you know, along with that, just the emotional side of caring for usually someone you love who is really sick and who is nearing the end of their life. And that would be sad and stressful, regardless of whether or not you're the one caring for them. We don't like to think about losing the people we love. Um, And so you have all of that emotional burden on top of those just physical daily demands that I was speaking about. Um, 
And then I think the other thing that is really common for caregivers is just the isolation, whether that is physical isolation of being stuck in my house because I can't leave this person alone, even to run out to the store. Um, And also just sort of the um, emotional and social isolation of feeling like no one else really understands what I'm going through. Um, All of my, you know, because I can't get out of the house, I can't engage with, you know, my, my friends or my church or, you know, the, the things that I would normally do as kind of outlets for um, stress and difficult emotions. Um, So I think those are, um, and, you know, kind of along with that, just the sort of the emotional isolation piece, I think, um, we're doing a great job here in these conversations of talking a lot about, um, you know, caregiving and of course, specifically to, to folks who are in hospice care, but culturally out in the world, we don't really do a great job of that. And we don't even really have, um, a great language or vocabulary, uh, to use around those things. And so, um, I think it just makes it really hard for people to even engage um, with, you know, quote unquote, with the outside world, with people who are not uh, stuck at home as caregivers. I've heard, I've had uh, families and caregivers say to me before, um, you know, I I don't even know what to say when people ask how we are doing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty powerful, right? I mean, it's, it's, it is this sort of stigmatizing statement um, that that sort of that sort of corrals an individual's need or want to be completely open and honest. Here we are, I have arrived back at sort of vulnerability, mm-hmm. um, you know. But but they find themselves with this sort of you know hard stop at being at stopping themselves from saying you know it's really hard. Um, and I struggle with, you know, this, this, and this, I mean, whatever this, this, and this may be, um, because, you know, I think the fear quite honestly, is that the, the return response may be a thought of, well, you must not being a good, doing a good job when in reality, that's not what any of us are thinking. Mm-hmm. We're all sort of thinking in the back of our minds or, or it comes right out of our mouth right after someone says, I'm caring for, you know, my husband or whomever is, wow, that must be really hard. I think because we don't have, to your point, a brilliant statement, I think, a, a vocabulary that allows us to offer supportive statements beyond, well, what can I do for you? And, and, but it go, but it uh, it does come back to identifying the resources, um, you know, trust the resources, and then find the affirmation and confidence within yourself um, for for what those resources are offering to you, and take it on their face value, right? Um, I mean, that's just a that's. So, what do you say when people say, "I don't even know what to say" when people ask us how we're doing? What do you say? Yeah, so I think I just, you know, first of all, sort of point out that, yeah, culturally, we don't do a great job of talking about this stuff. And it's hard because we don't want to make people uncomfortable, especially right. you know, we're here in the South, right? Um, and so we just want to, 
it's not considered polite conversation maybe to talk about these um really human issues that everybody you know insert here the empathetic bless your heart right exactly (laughs) yes covers all the bases right um, and then walk away um yeah so I, i first just kind of point that out to people to say you know you're not you're not crazy for feeling that way it is um um you know, it's understandable that you, you would feel that way, but I do, um, you know, first of all, in terms of how the patient is doing, if someone is asking, you know, oh, how's your husband doing at home that you're caring for? Um, maybe with this very hopeful tone of like, how's he doing? And he's getting better. Right. Um, and maybe, you know, that's not usually the case for a hospice patient in particular. So just to try to get them to focus on, um, you know, depending on how comfortable they are with the, with the person who's asking the question, just focusing on the fact that, oh, well, he's at home, which is where he really wants to be. And he is really comfortable right now where, you know, he doesn't have any pain. We've had some meaningful time with family or friends, those kinds of things. Um, Not that they need to play down the fact that someone is declining or is dying. Um, And then I think also, again, back to sort of coming up with specific ways to ask for or receive help, Um, you know, maybe to say, here's some uh, really specific challenge that we have this week. Um, I really need to get out to, um, you know, get to the doctor's office myself, and I don't have anybody to, to sit at home with my husband. So just sort of being really concrete with folks when they're asking, hopefully they're asking because they really do want to know how you're doing and, and what you're needing. Right. You know, so if, if I know a caregiver and, and there's not a person who is listening to this podcast today who doesn't know someone who is actively involved in caregiving. It's down the street from us in our neighborhoods. It's uh, the, the pew behind us at church. It's our cousin. It's, you know, it's someone we know directly because it is a ubiquitous consideration. So if I know a caregiver, what is the best way that I am able to affirm them in the middle of these challenging moments? What is the most helpful thing that I can do? Yeah. So I think um, going back to, I think it was in your conversation with Dr. Eifert, she suggested, you know, not making assumptions about how this experience is for someone. Um, It's not, necessarily, you know, a bad experience, not necessarily a good or rewarding experience either. But the only way to know that is just to kind of start from a place of how is this for you? Um, And again, that that transfers to all kinds of, of situations that people might find themselves in, but just kind of starting from that place of, um, you know, where are they in this moment? What, what might they need? What might actually be helpful or useful to them? Um, and so I think in terms of kind of more practical or hands-on type of help, um, you know, just thinking about what your own skill set and abilities are. Does that family, you know, 
might it be helpful for you to go over and mow their grass for them? That is, you know, maybe something that's fallen down the list of priorities that would um, be um, really helpful and appreciated by them. Um, and I think just keeping in mind, you know, the, the limitations that a caregiver might be um, facing. So for instance, you know, if I normally would have asked my friend out for coffee or out to lunch, um, instead saying, hey, can I bring some coffee over to your house and we can sit and chat? Um, oh, and by the way, since I'm going to be out, you know, is there anything I can pick up for you and I'm, while I'm on my way over? Um, so just kind of, you know, meeting those basic um, human needs beyond the, you know, specific to caring for a sick person, but just, um, you know, helping a person to feel a little more um, normal, quote unquote, um, right. while at the same time taking into account, um, you know, what their actual situation is. Sure. So, you know, what are some really positive experiences that caregivers has have related to you or, or have they, I suspect they have. Yeah. Um, so I think one thing that I hear a lot from folks is um, they'll say, you know, it is an honor to be here caring for this person because they cared so well for me. Um, maybe when I was a child or, um, because I watched them care for their parents or for their friends so well. I'm really um, honored to be able to kind of pay that forward or pay that back to them in a way. Um, and then a, another, you know, example is I'm just thinking of a family that I worked with recently who the daughter was the caregiver for her parent and she had kind of been um, to a certain degree in that role for a long time and kind of was used to the routine and having everything taken care of but then things were kind of escalating and the the patient had increasing needs and so the daughter kind of came again back to that coming to that point of you know reaching out or accepting help but she had called her other siblings in and sort of assigned them uh, tasks and roles, ways that they could be helpful in the home. Um, and as the um, person was dying, she said to me, you know, if it weren't for this situation, if it weren't for, you know, me being here and having allowed my siblings in, we would not have had this time together under any other circumstances as, wow. you know, adults just kind of living our own lives with our own families. And so um, they just had some really meaningful time together and sharing stories and, um, you know, a lot of laughs and that they would not have had otherwise. So I think kind of sometimes creates, um, the opportunity just for some deeper or more meaningful bonds, even within, um, within a family that is, is pretty cool to see. Yeah. Cause you know, having a shared experience like caregiving is sort of a can has an, has a very equalizing effect. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes I've sort of seen that and I know in my career 
and may bring people together that, you know, have been distant, Mm -hmm. whether physically or emotionally for some time, because it, it creates a, it, it sort of is a, a, a recentering of a perspective, right? And and then it gives everyone sort of a, a common um, a common understanding, uh, a common set of circumstances through which they find great affinity within each other, mm-hmm. um, and probably affirmation too. I would imagine. I think we can't ignore that. Um, you know, Caroline, you've been an integral part of things that we are doing within our own organization. Um, and uh, specifically related to our support of caregivers, um, which has been particularly interesting. We've been working on this for a little over a year. Um, and, uh, you know, might you share some of that or what your experience is with some of that with our listeners? Yeah, so um, one thing that we do to try to support our caregivers is to offer respite care for our patients, whether that is a volunteer going into their home for just a few hours at a time to allow the the caregiver to get out of the house or get a break, Um, all the way up to we offer what we call a respite stay for our patients, which is for up to five days at one of our inpatient units. Um, And that is often just really helpful. People are so grateful for that uh, service that we are able to provide. Um, we also um, have started a program where our some of our volunteers make a weekly phone call to our caregivers just to check in, make sure they have what they need, and also just to kind of offer words of encouragement and, you know, be kind of a, a listening ear if that's needed. And I know there's been cases where, um, you know, caregivers have said, oh, they called at just the right moment. I really needed, you know, to, to bounce something off someone, or I really needed to, to, you know, have someone listen to this thing that's happening today. Um, And then we've also uh, started up a support group for caregivers. So just a space for our caregivers to meet one another and share experiences and advice and um, struggles and just offer support to one another. So um, yeah, it's been really exciting to see. I think the caregivers really appreciate when we say, you know, we're really making this extra effort to offer, um, support to you, not just to the patient, um, because we see that you are just as important to this whole operation as the patient is. And, um, folks are, have been really appreciative of that. Yeah. You know, Caroline, as I think back over the conversation we've had uh, over the last several minutes, you know, I think there are a couple messages that sort of really resonate in my mind. And that is for folks who aren't caregivers um, who are listening to this, um, you know, find some affirming words um, and, and create a sense of understanding with folks whom you may be talking with that, are actively engaged in caregiving um, and, and really find some intentionality in your words beyond, wow, I'm so sorry, that must be so difficult. Um, turn that around into something very positive and that's something we've, we've talked a lot about. But then more importantly for the caregivers who may be listening to this, and, and this is for caregivers who are you know, just beginning to find their way or maybe in the crux of it now, um, who are seeking some affirming words from us in listening to this 
um, you know, it really would be make sure that you've taken the time to really identify the, the support and resources that are available to you to trust those resources. And then, and then, you know, lastly, find the affirmation and confidence that you need in those resources because they, they are there for you, whether it's from our organization or hospice care teams, from our volunteers, or whether it's from people who sit, you know, and, you know, down the, down the pew from you at church or that you're, that you're in uh, a civic club or organization with, or that are just your neighbors, you know, seek that affirmation from them, accept it, um, and then and then trust that those resources are truly genuine. You know, as I as I've said all of that, you know, Caroline, I really want to give you the very last word. And so I'm I'm really curious if there's something that that you were just really drawn to say that we haven't talked about in this time together. I think, you know, I'm just glad that we are having these conversations and and putting these things out there because we, you know as I said, we are in this work. And so it seems like sort of normal to us um, to be working with people who are caregivers. And um, so I just really appreciate that and want to, um, you know, I guess to say to any caregivers that um, even though it doesn't always probably feel like it or seem like it, that, um, you know, as you said, there are a lot of us who, who kind of see them and who are here to support. And that, as I said, like I say to all of my patients and caregivers, it's too much for one person to, to do alone. So there's certainly no, um, no shame or any negativity around, um, you know, needing the help. And then there's a lot of courage in um, reaching out and receiving that help. Sure. You just add, you just added some great validation and, and credibility to the old adage, it takes a village. Caroline, thank you so very much for being with me today, for taking this sort of exploratory journey on uh, this really interesting topic about affirmation, which led us to talk about vulnerability and a whole host of other really important things as they relate to caregivers. So I thank you for being my guest today. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Trent. Thank you for listening in to this episode of the E-Series. We're excited to continue this caregiving dialogue throughout the summer as we touch on topics including self-care, anticipatory grief, mental health, and much more. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll receive a notification as each episode publishes. Until next time, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.